Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Kings Avenue Baptist Church. We're so excited that you're here to worship with us today. I hope that during this time of virtual services, you're finding ways that you can still connect with one another, but obviously still connecting with God. You know, it's hard when uh, we are not here together in the same room. And I want you to know that we love you, we miss you, and we're looking forward to being back together, worshiping face-to-face together again soon. But I want you to be lifted up and know that even though we're not in the same room, even though we're not together here physically, we are made one in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God unites us. It draws us into the Lord and makes us together with Him. That scripture that says that where two or three are gathered, God is with us. Well, listen, we may not be gathered in this room, but we are gathered in the Spirit. I am here in God's name, and I believe that you are where you are in God's name. And so I believe that God is with us all through uh, this room right here and through your living room, through living rooms and households across you know, our whole community as people are tuning in this morning. We are united in the Spirit today. One of the things that uh, we, we can look forward to as we know that the Holy Spirit is with us is we can still feel that unity even though we aren't physically together. Well, if you've been watching us on social media, uh, you know that we are getting ready to kick off a new series today. And I always get excited about the beginning of a new series. It's almost like I'm pregnant with anticipation, just knowing what God is speaking into me, knowing what God is challenging me with, knowing what God is even just kind of giving me a glimpse of what he wants us to discover over these next several weeks. And this series is no different. Uh, Very excited about what we're going to be talking about over these next several weeks. And honestly, this series could not come at a better time. We're going to be going through the times in Scripture where people were overwhelmed, where circumstances uh, seemed very bleak and and dire, where people were giving up. And then we're going to talk about these two beautiful words, for honestly, the most pivotal words in all of the Bible. Because what we see is on these two words is where those negative circumstances, they pivot into God's blessings, into His power, into His provision, into His direction, and into His will. Those two words are, but God. And we get a a kind of a a better understanding, we get a look into what we mean uh, by the power of these two words in our core passage for this series. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, and in that, verses 4 and 5, I really challenge you to uh, really memorize as we go through this series because it perfectly captures the intent and the message of what it means when we say, but God. So Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. It says, And you were dead in the trespass and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power, following uh, the, the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So it starts off, what it says, is it says that we were once dead in our sin and trespass. We were once children of wrath. We were only inheriting judgment because we were living according to our flesh. We were only looking to glorify ourselves, to gratify ourselves. And because of that, we would inherit the judgment that came with the sin. And it says that we were dead in sin and trespass, but then these beautiful words starting in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were uh, dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with, uh, raised up 
with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Man, I, I hope that you can see the power of but God in these verses. It says that we were dead in sin and trespass. We were ready to inherit judgment. We were gratifying our flesh. But God in his rich mercy, but God in his great love, but God in his immeasurable grace to us, he makes us alive in Christ. And not only makes us alive, but he puts us in the heavenly places. He seats us with Christ. What a beautiful promise that we have. In all of this, that we are made alive in God, but God. And I just, I have to be careful because I could preach the wrong sermon this morning. You know, normally I will start a series off with a sermon on the core verse and uh, was prepared to potentially do that with this series, but God really led me in a different way. And this series is going to be over the next nine weeks. And at the end of this series, we're going to do a, a sermon and a message on the passage that we just read. Uh, because I think God wants us to start in a different direction. Today, the message that we're going to be bringing is, but God is not done with you. And let's just take a moment to pray. Let's just take a moment to just give this time to the Lord, to allow him to speak to us, allow him to just really just speak into our hearts and our spirit what he wants us to know, the message of what it means that he's not done with us, that the world might say one thing, but God is not done with us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message that you have for us today. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank, that, thank you that we were once dead in our sin, but you have made us alive. Father, as we dive into your word today, we surrender all of all of our distractions, all of the things that are on the outside, all of the things that are pulling us in any different direction other than you, we lay those at your feet, Lord. We trust that you will take them, take those burdens away from us, God, as we cast our cares on you. We look for you to speak to us today. We open our hearts, we open our spirits, we lay ourselves bare before you. God, we give you the permission to just cut right to the quick, just hit us right where it hurts, Lord. Speak truth, confront us with truth so that we can change and we can just walk according to your will. I I pray, Lord, that someone's eternity changes today because of your word. We thank you for the work that you're going to do in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the passage that we're going to be going through today, uh, the core passage for today, comes out of the the 13th chapter of Acts. And what we see there is Paul, he is he's speaking with his companions in Antioch. He had been there for a little bit, and uh, the, the religious leaders... Believe it or not, they asked Paul to stand in the synagogue one day and give an encouraging lesson. Well, of course, Paul chooses the most encouraging lesson. He talks about Christ, and he gives them a, a little bit of their history so that the people that were listening could connect their history to the story of Jesus. And when he gets to the part about Jesus, he talks about how the religious leaders themselves were involved in his crucifixion. Listen to what it says in verse 29. It says, And when they had carried out all that was written of him, all that was written of Jesus, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Now, the way that this sentence is written and the words that Paul chooses, it really helps us to see that, you know, the the religious leaders, they thought that they had won. They thought that Jesus' story was over. I mean, they had literally buried him. They had killed him, executed him on the cross, and then buried him in the tomb. And so what we see is 
in, in, in doing this, even though that they're working in their own selfish ambition, even though they're acting out of pride, even though they're acting out of fear of who Jesus was, we know that they were fulfilling Scripture. We know that they were setting things up to accomplish God's will. And it says that even though, it says Jesus was dead, they took him down from the cross and they put him in the tomb. But let's look at what it says next in verse 30. It says, But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. Do you see the power of but God? Jesus was dead. He was in a tomb, but God raised him to life. God raised him up to accomplish his will, to accomplish the things that he still had for Jesus to do. The, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they thought Jesus' story was over. They thought they had beaten him. They thought they had buried him. But God says, no, I still have work for my son to do, and he raises him up from the dead so that Christ could continue to accomplish the will of the Father. I, I mean, the, the Pharisees, they, 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 they couldn't have had any clue that they were setting things up for Jesus to fulfill even more prophecy. And the, the message that I think that God has for us today is, listen, the world may be saying to you that your story is over. The world may be telling you that you're not worth anything. The world may be telling you that you, you can't accomplish anything. The world may be telling you lie after lie after lie. But God says, don't give up. You see, you may be ready to give up because of all the things that you're hearing and believing, maybe even the stories and lies that you're telling yourself about what you can and can't do, what you can accomplish, what you won't accomplish. But God says, I have a plan for you. Don't give up. And I, I want you to hear that this morning. God is speaking. He says, the world may say this, but God says this. He has a plan for you today. One of the things that I think is important to realize is the voice that the world speaks with is a voice that only increases the burden of darkness. And in, in, in when we find ourselves in that dark place, the world is never going to bring us to a place of light. The lies that the world tell us only feed the darkness that we are in and increase the weight that we are under. But Jesus gives a beautiful promise in the book of Matthew chapter 11. He says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is speaking. He's inviting to us, inviting us to him right now. He says, come to me. He says, are you tired of laboring? Come to me. Are you overwhelmed? Come to me. Are you weary? Come to me. Do you need rest? Come to me. Jesus is speaking to us right now. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you hear his voice? He is beckoning to us. We have to make the choice, though. We have to listen to him. We have to choose to act. We have to choose to go. We have to choose to go to him and lay our burdens down. Now, some of you may be saying, now, wait a minute, Pastor John. I've been a Christian for a long time. I've followed Jesus, you know, since I was a child. And let me tell you, it's not easy. It's not a light burden. It's not easy. It's not something that is just easily accomplished. And listen, I understand where you're coming from, and I hear what you're saying, but I want to just help you understand what Jesus is saying. Okay, listen, yes, following Christ will 
be a burden. Jesus doesn't say, come unto me, my, 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 you know, the, the thing that I'm going to give you is light. He says, my burden is light. He says, take my yoke upon you. What he says implies that there is work to be done. What he says implies that there is a burden to take upon ourselves, and it will require sacrifice. But the point that he's making, he's comparing the burden that he offers with the burden that we already carry. In fact, Jesus is calling us out for trying to reach and attain the burden of life while only ever holding on to a burden of death. Jesus is saying, why, are you, why do you think that you would ever be able to walk in the life that only I can give? When you're trying to do everything on your own, when you're trying to accomplish and live up to the world's expectations and the world's standards, which by the way, aren't the standards that we should be living up to. Jesus says, why are you trying to do all of that? Come to me, you are weary, you are tired, you need rest. He says, take my yoke upon you, because my yoke is light when you compare it to the burden that we are carrying, the burden of trying to do everything on our own, and then layer on top of that, the burden of sin. You see, that, that burden of sin is a burden of death. And it, we know that the, the wages of sin is death. And so we're trying to carry that burden on top of the burden of trying to accomplish everything in our own power, in our own strength. What Jesus says, he says, on the cross, I took the burden of death from you. I took it for you. Come and lay that burden down. Let me carry it for you and take instead my yoke upon yourself. He says that he had died on the cross. He had taken that burden of death for us and we must surrender it to him. What we see is a promise inherent in all of that. That when we go to Christ, when we surrender that burden to him, what does he tell us? He says that he will give us rest. You may be under a burden today. But God, through his son Jesus, and because of what Jesus did on the cross, God says, come to me and I will give you rest. The hope that we have is that, yes, we will be carrying a yoke. Yes, there is a burden associated with being a child of God, but we are not alone in carrying that burden. Christ is with us. God empowers us. We see in in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, that he sent the Holy Spirit to empower us to, to carry the burden of being his child. That God, I want you to know this morning, God sees you where you are. Whatever burden you might be carrying, whatever you're experiencing, whatever challenge you're facing, God knows where you are. And he says, take whatever burden that the world has placed upon you <clears throat> and give it to me. Lay it at my feet. Cast it to me, it says in, in 1 Peter 5. We cast our burdens, we cast our cares on Christ <clears throat> because he cares for us. And so because of that, when we cast those burdens to him, we can rest assured that he will give, <clears throat> that he will give us rest. The question I want to ask you today is who are you letting write your story? When you look at just th- what the world is telling you, when you listen to what they are saying, so often we can fall in the trap of hearing their lies, of hearing what the world is telling us, and we let them write our story, that we listen to the world instead of God. The question that we have to ask is, are we going to let the world continue to write our story? Or are we going to give God the pen? Are we going to let him write the remainder of our story? Are we going to let him even rewrite our history so that it's not a, a theme that we are ashamed of? Rather, it's part of our testimony that, uses, that he uses to bring people to him. And the world says that there's so much about us 
that, you know, is wrong. The world says that we aren't worth anything. The world says that, you know, you might uh, never accomplish anything, but God says that you were loved, so loved, in fact, that he sent his son into this world to take the burden of sin from you, to take the curse of sin, the wages of sin, death from you, so that you might have life and you would be able to rest in him. We have to choose to quit listening to, to what the world says about us and listen to what God says about us. We have to first stop trying to figure out things on our own. And, and honestly, like right now, I'm speaking to myself, okay? I'm one of those people that when I'm faced with a problem, I want to figure it out myself. I want to know how to do it. And, and often I'll try to figure that out in my own mind, in my own knowledge, and my own strength, and my own abilities. Um, you know, and, and honestly, I'm also wired in a way that if I'm if in that process, I realize that I'm not going to be successful, and this new task that has been put ahead of me, if I think that my competence or my capability is challenged, then I'm not going to engage in that, in that thing that is, you know, that new challenge that I might be facing. But the issue with all of this is I'm, first, I'm, I'm defining success based off of the world's measures. You know, I hate failure. I hate not succeeding. But I'm, I'm, in my mind, I'm going off of what the world defines as success. Second, I'm also saying that I'm going to attain that success based off of my own knowledge, off of my own strength, off of my own capability. God says, throw all of that out. God says, don't even worry about what the world says is successful. Don't even worry how the world defines success. Often, success in God's eyes is defined by our obedience. And second, he says, your attainment of success, of his definition of success, was never dependent on on my own mind, on my own strength, on my own knowledge or capability. It was always dependent on him and often quite dependent on my obedience of him. And so what we need to realize is that we have to surrender to him. He is the one that will equip. God's word says that he is going to accomplish his will in us and that he will equip us to accomplish the things that he has set before us. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, we have to acknowledge the connection between the passage we just read in Hebrews and the passage we started out with in Acts And that connection is the resurrection of Christ. You see, it says here in Hebrews 13 that it says um, that God, uh, may the God of peace who brought again Jesus from the dead, right? So he's bringing our attention back to the resurrection. Why is he doing that? Well, if we think about it back in Acts chapter 13, remember the Pharisees thought that the story of Christ was over. They thought that they had defeated him. They thought that they had put an end to what God was actually doing in in their time. They didn't because what happened? But God raised Jesus from the dead. So what we see in Hebrews 13 is it says that because of the but God, because God raised Jesus from the dead, he equipped Christ with what he needed to accomplish his will. And so we have the same hope that if God equipped Jesus to accomplish his will, he will equip us to accomplish his will as well. One of the things that we have to realize is that we have hope in an eternal and limitless God. Often we try to bring these, our own limitations around the Lord and we, put him, we think about him in a natural situation or a natural construct. 
Listen, God is supernatural. He operates outside of our own thoughts and any constraint that we could put upon him. He is not limited by our limitations. When we look at this, we have to stop limiting him to the situations that only we can define or that we can only define in our mind. Let's just consider. God equipped Jesus with life even though Jesus had been dead. You might say that that death was a limiting factor for Christ to finish accomplishing the will that God had put before him, the purpose that God had created for him. But God says, I'm going to equip Christ with life so that he can accomplish my will. If he did that for Jesus, he will do that for us. I'll be honest, I I don't fully understand why God chooses to use me. I don't, I don't fully understand why God would, would look at me and say, okay, well, John, I'm going to use you to be a pastor. I'm going to use you to be a, a husband or a father because I, I know that I'm imperfect. And, and you might be thinking the same things about yourself. But listen, God's word says in Isaiah chapter 55 that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So when I look at that, what I realize is, you know what? If, God's not limited by my limitations. He's not looking at me and saying, well, all right, well, John can't accomplish this because all I need to be is a willing vessel. And as a willing vessel, God will accomplish whatever he sees fit through me and in me. And the same is true for you. It's always been his purpose to do this. We see this in 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, he's opening his first letter to the church in Corinth. He says, for consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now you might bristle at how Paul addresses the church in Corinth. And certainly you might be thinking, well, Pastor John ever addresses me that way. If he ever starts a sermon by saying, first of all, not many of you are wise. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are of noble birth, right? We, we read that as an insult, but I, I, we can't do that. Paul is, all he's doing is he's bringing out a point. He's basically saying, listen, we know that when we compare ourselves to others, we are not of noble birth. We are not wise. We are not powerful. There's not notoriety in this group. But it was never God's intent for there to be notoriety. He says God has chosen the weak things. God has chosen the, the, the unwise things. God has chosen the things that are low, the things that are not, to, to offset or to confound the things that are. It was always his purpose to do that. Why? So that no man may boast in the presence of God. You see, the issue is when, when we think about it, there are two things that he's doing this. He's doing this so that when those of us that are unwise, those of us that are weak, those of us that you know, find ourselves in, in that category that Paul is describing, when we see God doing things in us, we can recognize that it was only through God's power that those things were accomplished. And then those that are wise, those that are powerful, those that might be born of noble birth, as Paul talks about, when they see people like us accomplishing great things, when they see people like us doing things in the kingdom of God and for the kingdom of God, 
they will also realize that their power means nothing, that their wisdom means nothing, that their accomplishments and their own strength mean nothing, and that only God is the one that empowers. And they will be drawn to him. You see, God, it's always been his will to use those people that might be on the outside, the marginalized, so that everyone will recognize God's power and be drawn to it. I want to conclude today by just talking to you about four people from Scripture. And they represent kind of four different areas that I I believe that we might fall into. And we're going to talk about them and their situation and how God used them. And, and, And hopefully you'll see yourself in them. You'll see what God did in them and for them and through them, despite what the world might have been saying. The first one that we're going to talk about is David. And you might say, well, wait a minute, David killed Goliath. But did you know that when Samuel went to anoint David, David wasn't even there. That David was the youngest of eight sons. And uh, God had told Samuel to go and anoint a new king because his spirit had left Saul. Now Saul was still king and would remain king for quite some time. But God says, Samuel, I want you to go to Jesse's house and anoint a new king. One of his sons is going to sit on the throne. Well, Samuel gets to Jesse's house and Jesse's sons are presented to Samuel. And we see kind of this this first thing happen here in verses six and seven. It says, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, Samuel was told to continue looking on. Samuel was told that, you know, God, he's like, I don't look on the outside. I look at his heart. I've rejected this man. And it continued on. There were eight sons that Jesse had, but only seven were there. And so all seven of them that were present walked before Samuel. And each time Samuel thought, well, maybe it's this one. Maybe it's this one. Maybe it's this one. Each time God said, it's not, it's not, it's not. And finally, after those seven sons had been presented, Samuel was upset. He was disappointed. He says, wait a minute. Do you have any more children? Do you have another son? And they said, well, there's David, the runt, but he is out in the field. You see, his own family discounted him. They didn't think that he was important enough to be there when the man of God came. They didn't think that he was important enough when the prophet came to anoint the new king. They said there's no way that David would be chosen, and so they didn't even invite him into the house. But Samuel says, well, I'm not leaving until David comes. And David came, and as David stood there before Samuel, Samuel understood because God told him, this is the one who will be king. And we see actually in Acts chapter 13 in the passage that we started out with, Paul highlighted as he was speaking, he says, David was a man after God's own heart. You see, when God looked on the outside of those other, of David's brothers, or when he looked at the heart of David's brothers, he knew despite what the world saw on the outside, that they would not be king. But when he looked at David on the inside, he knew where David's heart was. This is why he was anointed. Listen, what the world says about you doesn't matter. If it's based on your appearance, if it's based on, well, you know, your attitude or your emotion, you know, you're too tall, you're too short, you're too this, you're too that, whatever it might be. The world, what they, with their opinion of you doesn't matter. If they've discounted you, if they've not even invited you to the situation, they've invited you to the table. God says, I'm looking at your heart. 
I'm not looking at the outside. I'm looking at your heart. So let your heart be after the Lord. Let your heart pursue him and he will use you no matter what. The next person that I want to talk to you about is the woman at the well. And we see her story in John chapter 4. Now, for this is one that you would say, okay, well, I can understand. She was disqualified from, honestly, just almost from the entire society because she had been married five times and she was living with a man that was not her husband. She was ostracized. She was rejected. Uh, just imagine her feeling of just worthlessness and, and loneliness. Every day she would go to get water during the hot part of the day because the other women in, in her society, the other women in her culture did not want to be around her. And so she had to go during the middle of the day, which was just much more, much more work. But Jesus, he chooses to go through Samaria so that on his way back to Jerusalem, it was a way that people honestly wouldn't go. It was a shorter way, but they didn't want to go that way because they had to pass through Samaria. But Jesus says, we're going through Samaria. And he stops there and he has an interaction with her. And what's, what's beautiful is he actually reveals himself to her as the Messiah he tells her that he is the chosen one, that he is the one that is coming. He is the one that would you know, bring salvation to the world. He teaches her about worship. He has an interaction with her. He speaks to her as the human being, as the daughter that she was to him. He demonstrates his love and selection of her. Despite what her society, despite what her community said about her, Jesus demonstrated love and that he had chosen her. And we see this uh, in, in, in how he used her later in John chapter 4. It says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, believed in Christ, because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. You see, it was because the people acknowledged a transformation. They could see that she had been changed. They, they could see that because of her interaction with Jesus, something was different about her. And despite all of her bad decisions, despite all of the things that they had disqualified her for, that she was different because of Jesus. And so they wouldn't, think about this, they wouldn't draw water with her. They wouldn't allow her to be around them while they were getting water from the well. Yet when she goes back to town and she says, come see a man that told me everything I ever did, they listened and they went to him. It was because of this woman and her testimony that in her entire community was saved. I want you to know something this morning. Your past does not disqualify you from being used by God. It doesn't. The bad decisions that you might have made, the sins that, that you've done, or anything that you look at with regret and shame, it does not disqualify you from being used by God. If you take those things to him, if you give them to him and allow him to change you, just like he changed the woman at the well, he will be able to use you, not just despite your past, but actually in that. He may be able to transform that into a testimony. I once was this way, but now I am this way. People will see the transformation and come to know the Lord because he's used your past. Let him. Don't be afraid. Don't listen to what the world says about you. Rather, listen to what God says about you, that he has chosen you. You are his child, and he loves you. When we look at this next person, it's Elijah. Now, again, Elijah, a, a powerful man of God. 
Again, someone that you might wonder why they would be on this list. Well, he accomplished many things. We know this. He, uh, you know, he, he stayed the clouds. He said it's not going to rain for three years. He raised a young boy from the dead. He provided for a family, or, but God, through Elijah, provided for a family. We know that on Mount Carmel, he called fire from heaven, that he then killed 900 prophets, and then he outran Ahab's chariot down the mountain. But even despite being used by God in these mighty ways. Elijah quickly descended into a, a pit of anxiety and fear and, and just despair. You know, this didn't happen years after all of these miracles. It happened right after. You see, after Elijah outran Ahab down the mountain, Ahab went to Jezebel, his wife, and told her all that Elijah had done and that he had killed all of the prophets and that God's you know, fire came down And Jezebel, she said that she would do everything in her power to kill Elijah on that day. And so Elijah, he flees into the wilderness. And this is the response that he had. This literally happened just days after Mount Carmel. It says, then he was afraid in 1 Kings 19, verse 3. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Listen, this is why it is good that I'm not God. I do not do well with whiners. And, and, and honestly, like if I was God in that moment, I probably would have given Elijah what he wanted. Because I, I'm not going to deal with someone that's getting just demonstrated God's power. God used him in such a mighty way. And then days later, crying out to God, well, just kill me. Just kill me. I'm no better than my father's. This, this woman, this, this Queen Jezebel, she's going to come after me. And she's going to kill me despite all the power that you have, have demonstrated in me. But God, thankfully, he had compassion on Elijah. He saw where Elijah was. He saw what he was dealing with. And he says, Elijah, listen, I want you to eat. And so he fed Elijah. He had food miraculously appear. He, he fed Elijah. Elijah took a nap. He took a rest. God said, take, take some time to rest. God woke him up. He ate again. And that food and that rest sustained Elijah for 40 days as he went to Mount Horeb until, until he went to the mountain of God. And as he gets to the mountain of God, what happens there? He gets there and, and we see that in this mountain, God speaks to Elijah and says, why are you here? And he again kind of just explains the situation. And God says, go out into the, the cliff of the mountain. Go out on the edge of the mountain. And while he is on the edge of the mountain, this just mighty wind comes and it starts to shake the earth and break the mountain apart. But it says that God was not in the wind. And then after a wind, there was an earthquake again, shaking the mountain, shaking the earth. But God was not in the wind. And then after wind, there was a fire that came, but God was not in the fire. And then, after all of this, after all of these demonstrations of power, there was a still, small voice. It was a whisper. Elijah heard the whisper and recognized it as God's voice. And he listened. God spoke to him. God says, Elijah, I have more for you to do. And he gives Elijah a list of things that he says, these are still on my list. These are still part of my plan for you to accomplish. And Elijah listened and obeyed. What I want you to understand this morning is that when we are overcome 
in our circumstance, we have to be quiet. We need to listen to God. We need to be still so that we can hear that still, small voice. That despite all of the burdens and all of the things that many of us are doing, listen, I know parents trying to, you know, maybe do your own job from your house or trying to balance having to go to work with homeschooling your children or anything else that you're trying to do right now in this time that increases the burden. God says when that burden has increased, when you feel overcome, get quiet, get still so that you can hear his voice. You can hear that he has a plan for you to accomplish, that he has uniquely equipped you to do. The last person that I want to talk to you about today is Elisha, Elijah's, um, you know, his, his uh, successor, if you will. Again, another mighty man of God, someone that performed many miracles. He was a prophet in the mid-9th century, and he died early in the uh, 8th century. But something that I want to tell you about today is not something that happened in Elisha's life, rather something that happened after his death. And again, you might say, well, okay, death is a limiting item here, right? That his story would have been over. But death was not the end for Elisha, or at least not for the work that he, God had for him. Listen to what it says in Second Kings chapter 13. It says, so Elisha died, and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and he stood to his feet. So let me just reiterate for you, your story is not over. Someone would have said that Jesus' story was over. He was dead, but God raised him from the dead. Someone would have said that David's story was over, that he wasn't even, he was inconsequential. They didn't even invite him, but God says, I'm going to make him king. Someone would have said that this woman at the well, her story was over. She was disqualified. Her decisions you know, disqualified her from being used. She was rejected by everyone. God says, I'm going to use her. Instead of being rejected by her community, it is through her that her community will come to know me. Someone might say that Elijah, he had written himself off. He was covered in just despair and, and overcome with you know, worry and, and fear and doubt. And he had given up. But God says, don't give up, quiet down, listen to my voice and do what I have set out for you to do. Someone might have said that Elisha, his story was over. He was dead and in the ground. But God said, nope, Elisha's story continues because God is still God. I want to encourage you this morning, wherever you find yourself, God is not done with you. There is no amount of sin There is no amount of anything in your life that puts you outside of God's ability to use you mightily. All we have to do is surrender. We have to do what Jesus says. He says, come to me, all who are weary. Come to me, all who are laden, and I will give you rest. Take his yoke upon yourself. Take his burden upon yourself. Give him the burden of trying to do everything on your own. Give him the burden of death that comes with sin, and take from him the life and the rest that he promises. I'm going to pray, and I just invite you to pray with me. If you have never received that gift of salvation, if you have never taken the burden of sin that you carry and laid it at Jesus' feet, do, do so right now. Don't hesitate. If you have done that, but you find yourself in one of the people that we talked about today, and you need to let God 
do his will. You need to surrender to him. You need to go to him and receive rest. Pray with me today. Dear Jesus, I thank you for what you did on the cross. I thank you that you came to this earth and died on the cross so that you could take the burden of sin from me and give me life and give me rest. I understand that that is not going to be an easy thing to walk in. I know that it will take Uh, It will require sacrifice for me. It will require things from me. I I will have to change and you will have to transform me. But God, help me to walk in that transformation. I give my life to you. I invite you into my heart. Forgive me of my sins and make me new today. In Jesus' name. For those that need to pray and just ask God to help them in their circumstance, to use them despite their past, to help them quit listening to the lies of the world, but hear what God says when, he says when he says that he's not done with you. Pray with me now. Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you see me where I am. You know the burden that I carry. Forgive me for trying to do things on my own. Forgive me for trying to carry all of the burden by myself. God, I come to you and I lay my burden down. Lord, I lay it at your feet. I cast it on you. Lord, and I abandon the burden that I carry. God, for the, for the burden that you give, for the rest that you, that you give, the life that you have given me. Help me to surrender to you always. Help me to quit listening to the lies of the world. Help me to hear your still, small voice. Help me to know that you have a plan for me, that you will equip me to accomplish your plan, just like you equipped everyone that has gone before me. Father, I surrender to you today. I look forward to the continued work that you're going to do in me, Lord, but through me and my community. In Jesus' name, amen. We're excited that you came and and worshiped with us today. It's my prayer that God has done something amazing in your life and that your eternity has changed. I, I just invite you to share with us the decisions that you're making. You can comment on the streams in social media. You can email us at the church office. We would love to come around you in prayer, surround you with prayer, celebrate the decisions and commitments that you're making. But I want you to know, remember, God is not done with you. God bless.